Well, good morning. I do hope you're all well. Uh, if you're new to our series on Encountering Jesus, then we do want to welcome you to this Old Testament study in God's Word. And if you've spent time with us over the last couple of weeks as we've been looking at the life of Abraham and Sarah, as well as the life of Jacob, we do hope that this has been both an encouragement and a challenge to you. Uh, through this study, we're looking at the lessons we can learn as people have an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, and this morning we're continuing on in the Old Testament story. We're in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, and we're spending time looking at an encounter that Moses has with Yahweh, with God himself. Now, so far in our series, we have had three responses from individuals who have encountered Jesus. Abraham honoured Yahweh, uh, Sarah dismissed Yahweh, and all that he had to say, and as TJ looked at last week, Jacob wrestled with Yahweh and was weakened by Yahweh, and this meant that Jacob was ultimately changed by Yahweh for the better. Jacob became a better version of himself because of the work that God was doing in his life. He became more dependent upon God. And this morning we want to take some time to look at the life of Moses. And in particular, what we learn about God from this passage, the nature of Moses' encounter with God, and how it is that Moses responds to this encounter. And there's so much in this passage that we will, I believe, be able to take and apply to our own lives. And so let it be the case that by God, by his spirit, does a work in our hearts through his word as we hear it, as we study it, as we reflect on it, and as we apply it to our lives. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. The words will be up on the screen for you as well. We read these words of Moses' encounter with God. So we read these words, Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding a flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was in fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they asked me, What is his name? What should I tell him? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. 
I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt and the land of Canaanites, Hephites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness, so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go, even under force from a strong hand. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it, after that he will let you go. And I will give these people such favour with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman will ask her neighbour and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewellery and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians." Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word this morning. You know, something that I love about the Christian faith, something that makes it so powerful, uh, something that makes Christianity stand out from all of our faiths, worldviews, philosophies, is this idea that it is God who meets us. He's the one who initiates relationship with us. We were going our own way, doing our own thing, and God stepped in and changed us, and he called us as a people to a new purpose. And it's such a direct contrast to all other religions and faiths where relationship with God is based on working up to God. And it's not like I can sit here this morning and tell you that there are maybe one or two examples of this in the Bible. Now the Bible is full of so many examples of when God steps in and changes lives. And if that wasn't enough for more that we read in the Bible, many of us in Denison Baptist Church can testify to this. We were doing our own thing choosing to live a life separate from God. And God stepped into our life. He brought about the transformation. He was the one that initiated relationship. And we, within our hearts, made a decision to follow him as the work of the Holy Spirit was alive in our lives. Many of us can share of an encounter we had with Jesus, initiated by Jesus. And it shows something of how God operates in the world. Our passage this morning is an example of one of these encounters. And I want to highlight this morning four different things that God does here in this passage that highlight the fact that Moses didn't really have anything to do with this. It was God who started this relationship and he did so for a purpose. So let's look at the first action of God towards Moses as we try and just come to terms with all that is going on within this passage. So the first thing we see God do is this. God appears to Moses in a burning bush. We read in verse 2. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. It's an interesting phrase, the angel of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, it's a very important phrase. You might read that phrase and take it at face value, descriptively. It's an angel of the Lord, an angel who belongs to God. But this is not a description, this is a title. We see other examples of the angel of the Lord turning up in the Old Testament, including the encounter that Gideon experiences, which is what Jason will be looking at next week. And verse 4 is so important for us in identifying who the angel of the Lord actually is. 
When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called, called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Now notice that the angel of the Lord is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, is a name for God, Yahweh. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, we learned that Yahweh, this name for God, is a description of Jesus himself. Paul connects Yahweh with Jesus in Philippians. So we can say with confidence that this is a pre-incarnate Christ who met with Moses. And if we were in any doubt as to the identity of this angel of the Lord, we read again in verse 4, God called out to him, speaking of Moses. God called out to him. So make no mistake about it, it is God himself who meets with Moses through this burning bush. And this leads us on to point number two. God reveals who he is to Moses. God in verse 6 presents Moses with what's an important description of who he is. We read these words, I am the, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now this goes back to, to the outline that TJ gave us last week. God is showing Moses here that there's track record between God himself and Moses' family, Moses' ancestors. God has been active in leading, protecting and blessing Moses' family. And this can be traced all the way back to the start. There's historical weight to this God that Moses is meeting here. Moses knows this because he, like all the Israelites of his day, would, of course, be deeply familiar with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. More than that, these men would have been revered as greats, maybe even mistakenly understood as the individuals who made Israel the nation they are today, despite their current circumstances. All that to say, God is saying to Moses, Know who I am from what you see in history, from how I had previously stepped in and led and blessed your ancestors. This is something that we can do too. We can know something of who this God is today, from how he has been at work in our history also. 2,000 years ago, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection and ascension happened. These were historical events. And these events have changed the course of human history, including today. God has track record with us too. And this brings us on to point number three, as we think of the action of God upon the life of Moses within our passage. God explains why he has come to Moses. You know, there's a particular reason why God is meeting with Moses here. And we find this reason in verses 7 to 8. We read, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now notice the verbs that God uses here. He observes, he hears, he knows, he comes, and he rescues. And this God hasn't changed. This same God who observes, hears, knows, comes, and rescues in the midst of the Hebrew suffering is the exact same God who observes, hears, knows, comes and rescues in the midst of your suffering and my suffering. Here we get a window into the kind of God we worship. One who really, really does love. One who really, really does care. One who wants the very best for our lives in the midst of all the challenges and all the hardships that this life brings. 
Which brings us on to the fourth action of God. God calls calls Moses for a particular purpose. God calls Moses for a particular purpose. God has a role for Moses in all of us. We read in verses 9 through to 10. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is Moses' marching orders. This is Moses' great commission. He knows what he needs to do now. God could have done it all by himself. He didn't need Moses to rescue his people from slavery, but he chose Moses. And he did so because he loved Moses and he cared for him, just as he cared for all of his people. And God knew that through Moses' leadership, he would be glorified. So, so far, so good. God appears, reveals, God explains and God calls. And now it's Moses' turn to respond. And this is where the atmosphere suddenly changes. Because Moses is not fully on board with what God has called him to do. Moses says these words to God in verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now maybe you read that question from Moses to God and you think to yourself, imagine saying that to God. After all that God has just said to him, after all that God has done for him. But when you look at Moses' background and where Moses is coming from, you start to understand why it is that he might say this. I want to highlight seven potential reasons for why Moses might have said all that he said based upon what we read elsewhere in the book of Exodus. So maybe seven foundational reasons for why Moses is cautious and afraid. And number one, he was abandoned at young age. Moses was abandoned at young age. We most likely know the story of Moses as a baby, put in a basket, a Moses basket, by his birth mum. And why? For a very valid reason, the genocide of all Hebrew baby boys decreed by Pharaoh. So there was a valid reason why Moses was abandoned in the River Nile by his mother. But abandonment is still abandonment. It would have left a lasting negative impact, impression upon his life. We would most likely describe this moment in Moses' life today as an ace, an adverse childhood experience. And it would have surely left an impression on him. And he would have been carrying that even in the midst of this burning bush experience. The second a potential reason why Moses is cautious is that he grew up in a pagan home. Baby Moses is rescued in the River Nile by, of all people, the daughter of a man who was trying to kill him, Pharaoh's daughter. He would have grown up in a pagan environment, which was essentially a non-Yahweh fearing environment. And when he became his own man and left that home, with the conflict between the Egyptians and Israelites still overshadowing that society, he must have felt guilt, shame, embarrassment at his upbringing. Moses was not quite the Hebrew of Hebrews. The third reason why Moses is potentially hesitant, cautious, is that he was a social outcast. Most likely, he was a social outcast. Because of all of this, he may have been looked upon differently by the Hebrew people in Egypt. They would have looked at Moses and thought to themselves, is he really on our side? Or is his loyalty towards Pharaoh and his adoptive family? Now let me be clear, this is an argument from silence. The text doesn't mention this, but there's a very strong chance that this was the case based upon the circumstantial evidence within Moses' life. Number four, Moses was potentially hesitant towards God because he was a murderer. 
We read in Exodus chapter 2 in verses 11 to 12. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labour. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people, looking all around and seeing no one. He struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. Now, maybe Moses, at this particular point, was overwhelmed with a steep sense of injustice. Um, maybe it was a crime of passion. Maybe he was trying to prove a point that he was a real Hebrew. Maybe he struck this Egyptian in the heat of the moment, not fully realising what he was going to do. Whatever his motive, he still broke what would eventually become the Sixth Commandment. Number five, Moses is most likely cautious because he's a coward. And the day following on from this murderous act, Moses was out again and he saw two Hebrews fighting this time. He challenged them and one of them said, Who made you a commander and judge over us? Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses was afraid. Pharaoh then tried to have him killed. And instead of taking responsibility for what he did, Moses ran from his problems and left Egypt. Now, I completely understand why Moses did this. But this also could have been an opportunity for Moses to garner support from his Hebrews and collectively fight back against this oppression. But instead, he fled and he did so alone. And number six, one of the reasons why Moses is cautious potentially is because he was a doubter. Take a look at some of the questions that Moses asked God out of our passage. Questions that come out of God's call upon his life. So God has called him and Moses responds with all of these questions. We read in verse 13 of our passage. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? Now you might not see this, but Moses here is afraid of the Hebrew reaction to his arrival and challenge. And in Exodus chapter 4, in verse 1, Moses has another question for God, and his doubt and fear has grown even more. So he asks, what if they don't believe me, and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? He really is pushing back at this call that God has placed upon his life. And this reaches a climax in Exodus 4, in verse 13. We read these words, please, Lord, send somebody else. God, anybody but me. I really don't want to do this. And point number seven, Moses lacked confidence in public speaking. Now, Moses might have been very able when it came to public speaking, but he didn't believe he was. And that's all it takes. It doesn't need to be true. It just needs to be believed or not believed. And so we read in Exodus 4 and verse 10, but Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, even in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. You see, Moses was so self-conscious of his own ability to communicate, it limited what God would do in and through his life because of unbelief. So these are all perhaps indicators as to why Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And let me be clear, these reasons don't validate Moses' response to God. Because God is bigger than all of his reasons. But we should hopefully have a clearer picture of what is driving him here. <clears throat> and before you say, I can't believe that Moses said that to God. Isn't that what you say to God all the time? Don't you say, who am I that I should go? That I should say, that I should do, that I should love in the name of Jesus. 
Aren't we, in fact, worse than Moses when it comes to following God's will and God's purpose for our lives? Just like Moses had seven different excuses for why he couldn't do what God wants him to do, <clears throat> most of them based in the past, by the way, don't we also have a list of reasons why we can't do God's will, why we can't share our faith, why we can't serve in ministry, why we can't overcome our sin, why we can't love someone who has hurt us, why we can't give away our money generously, why we can't spend our time in prayer, why we can't open up the Word every single day, why we can't reach out to our neighbours, why we can't believe expectantly that God will start a revival in our city. You know, I could go on and on and on. Don't we have a long list of reasons for why we cannot do all of the things that God calls us to do? We are Moses. In fact, we are way worse than Moses because God's not calling you and I to lead a nation out of slavery. He's calling you to do a lot less than Moses' call. And yet, what do we do? We hide behind our excuses and we choose not to live in God's will. Who am I that I am able to do God's will? You know, we say, we often say things like this, things that sort of validate our reason for not stepping out in faith for God and for his goodness and glory. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm too middle class. I'm too working class. Like Moses, I'm not eloquent enough. I can't communicate. I'm not gifted enough. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too scared of what other people might think of me. I'll find some way to mess this up. <clears throat> that sin in my life from last year, two years ago, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, means that God, you won't use me today. All of this is a fake version of humility. As Tim Keller puts it, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And all of this highlights the fact that primarily you're not doubting you. You're doubting God and God's ability to work in and through you. So how does God respond to us when we harbour this kind of attitude? Well, it's the same way that God responds to Moses when Moses harbours this attitude. <clears throat> we find this in the next verse, in verse 12. God's reply to Moses. He, that's God, answered to Moses, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. So Moses here says, who am I to be used by God in this way? And God says, I will certainly be with you. I will be with you. Do not underestimate the power of the presence of God to enable you to do what you think you could not do. And this is the amazing thing about the Christian faith. God does not take our weaknesses from us. Very rarely does God take our weaknesses from us. Instead, God promises to be with us in the midst of our weaknesses. God promises to empower us, to strengthen us, as we recognise and live with our challenges and struggles and weaknesses. Take a look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 and verses 7 through to 10. Words that are so relevant to Moses' situation and to our own lives. Paul says these words. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. <clears throat> but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will more, most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses 
so that so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So just look at this for a moment. Paul wanted these weaknesses, these, this thorn in the flesh, whatever that might have been, to leave him, to be gone out of his life so that he could be strong. And God said to him, no, your weaknesses are the precise reason how I am able to work in you. Your weaknesses are one of the greatest blessings of your life. Let me just say that again. Your weaknesses are one of the greatest blessings of your life. They make you less reliant on yourself and more reliant on God. So get into the habit of recognising your shortcomings and receive this promise of God to Moses for your own life. I will certainly be with you. The presence of God at work, so that you are empowered to live for him with all that you are. He will be with you in the midst of your weaknesses, and he will work powerfully through you in the midst of all of your challenges. This is how God works. This is how God has always worked, <clears throat> and there's no use fighting against it. He makes us fruitful when we are fully reliant upon him. So let me close with two questions for every one of us this morning, and then out of these questions, a response. First question, what are my weaknesses? Ask yourself this question. What are my weaknesses? Reflect upon your own life. What are your own thorns in the flesh? What do you struggle with? What are the regular and daily battles in life? Know who you are and know what you struggle with. Question number two, what am I not doing as a result of my weaknesses? What am I not doing as a result of my weaknesses? Because of your weaknesses, because of past mistakes, because of your character flaws, what are you as a result choosing not to do for God? What is your personal, who am I that I should be able to do this or to do that? And when you've identified these weaknesses and what it is that you have chosen not to do as a result of these weaknesses, let me then invite you to respond in three different ways. Number one, confess your weaknesses before God and repent if necessary. You know, there's something so very important and freeing when we say to God, this is the area that I'm weak in, God. And God, please forgive me for all of the sin that's came out of this area, for the moments where I've tried to rely upon my own strength and failed miserably. God, I need you today. Such an important prayer. Because this is when God gets to work. When we recognise our weakness and when we are open before God, then he can fill us with his Holy Spirit and then we can serve him for a kingdom purpose. Number two, second response, believe in God's promise for his presence to be with you. Take this promise of God's presence in Exodus 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and the many other promises that we find of God's presence and power and then write these promises out, pin them on your wall, read them out loud Memorise them, meditate on them, sing them, share them. Start taking the word of God seriously in your life and stop being so flippant about it. So number two, believe in God's promise for his presence to be with you. And finally, number three, the third response, do something about it. Discern what God wants you to do next and go and do it. When you've been strengthened in the word in this way, then do something about it. Don't just leave it there. Act upon what you know to be true from the word and not upon what you think is real from your experience. Our experiences and our feelings so often lie to us 
But God's word never lies, so hold on to his promise. Do something in your life that means you have to rely upon God's power. Something where you know that without him at work, you won't have what it takes. In fact, this is the only way we can function and grow in the Christian life, when we are constantly and consistently reliant upon God. As Paul says in Romans, anything that's not done in faith is sin. What a challenge for us. Anything that's not done in faith is sin. It propels us into a life of dependence upon God. And from that, we live for him with all that we are. Maybe this morning, all of this is suddenly making sense to you because you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. You've never trusted him as Lord of your life. Well, if that's the case, I want to invite you to make a decision to follow him today. Surrender your past mistakes and hurts. Surrender your present day circumstances. Surrender your entire future to him. And believe today that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead and wants to give you eternal life. Believe that because it really is true. This really did happen in history. And Jesus from that moment has made a tangible and powerful difference in people's lives. You know, this life will make no sense to you unless you put Jesus in the very centre. So I'm going to invite you to make a decision to follow him. Turn away from the old life and enter into a new life. If you're watching this live, you can do that today by connecting with us through the link in the message feed and someone will connect with you and pray for you. If you're watching this recorded, then do messages on social media or contact us on info at But let me just plead with you, do not miss out on this opportunity to make Jesus Lord of your life. Follow him today. Respond to him today. You know, I've yet to meet someone who regretted the decision to follow Jesus. It will transform your life and do not do it tomorrow or the day after. Follow him today. You do not know what tomorrow holds. Make a decision to follow him and your life will be transformed and you'll experience true and authentic joy. I'm utterly convinced of that. So who are you that you can serve the living God? Well, you are someone who today can rest in his power and as a result, fulfill his purpose for your life and for his glory. Let's pray together. So Father, we we thank you for the example of Moses and we thank you for the honesty of Moses, for the insecurities and challenges that he had because we can so often see ourselves in Moses' life. And Lord, we do pray that we would turn to you through all that we've read. I pray, Lord, that we would have opportunity through our Zoom discussion now to reflect upon all that's been said. And Lord, I pray also that beyond today, we would take time to meditate upon this passage again that we would hear your still small voice and we would respond in faith. Give us a life of dependence, not one of independence. Help us to trust you. Forgive us of all of our sins and help us to know that the joy of the Lord really is our strength in every moment. And so we pray that you would pursue us, Lord, and that we would respond gladly to you and that we would choose to do your will in every single moment. And it's in your precious name we ask this. Amen. Love you guys. God bless. Let's respond and worship now.